Hi, my name is Susan. I've been arrested 32 times just for listening to people talk with each other. The problem was I used to hide in the bushes outside the windows of people's homes to enjoy listening to strangers talk to each other. It's just something I like to do. I get bored and lonely sometimes, you know. Hey, Susan, don't do all that. There's another way to enjoy random conversations? Now, thanks to the podcast show, I can enjoy listening to conversations with strangers and learn something new every week. No more listening outside the window just to enjoy a good conversation. Tune in weekly on Wednesdays and subscribe for updates on your favorite platform to the Toddcast show and help our podcast family continue to grow and share around the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Toddcast show. My name is Todd Murat, your host, and I'm so excited to be here with all of you. The Toddcast show is dedicated to exploring the human condition through conversation with strangers. We explore the positive, interesting, and oftentimes shocking side of human nature. In each episode of the Toddcast show, I talk with strangers in a down-to-earth, old-school, and heartfelt way about their life. Nothing is ever scripted, everything is spontaneous, positive, and we never discuss politics. You won't know what to expect next. Join in the conversation to laugh, love, learn, and grow with others around the planet. Who will I call next? Tune in to find out every Wednesday at midnight Pacific or for playback anytime on your favorite podcast listening platform. And stay connected with us at ToddCastShow.com. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Toddcast Show. I'm your host, Todd Mira, and we're joined again today by Amrit Singh for a part two interview today. How you doing, Amrit? Doing great. Super stoked about our part two and super excited. Me too. Me too. I can't wait. We're going to have a fun conversation. And let's remind our listeners, in case they didn't hear your first episode, where are you calling from today? I'm calling from Mexico now where we just moved a year and a half ago and I live here in Valle de Bravo with my family and it's a beautiful place. We have eternal spring. It's just amazing. Beautiful. Yes, I do remember that. We were talking about the wilderness and you have some amazing nature areas and all that. And I remember, um, I don't remember if it was on or off the air, but I was telling you that, yeah, I always liked Mexico and it's a really neat place, but I'm scared to go down there because, you know, I might get hung from a telephone pole by a gangbanger and something like that. And uh, you said, no, never had a problem with those people, but the cops have ripped me off a few times. (laughs) (laughs) That's Mexico for you. Exactly. (laughs) Man, I don't know what's worse, dude. Like, to be honest, I like it in the States because at least when you call the police, you've got a 95% chance that somebody's going to come and try to help you. But where you live, it's like, okay, it's like Las Vegas, man. Let's roll the dice. The cops might rip (laughs) us off. They might help us. We'll see. (laughs) I rather call the gangbangers because I don't know they'll come right exactly have have some sandwiches (laughs) ready and something that they like you know (laughs) so today we wanted to get into some beer and sorry you have to have some beer ready 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe a little weed too. They like that down there. And and actually, that's a perfect foyer <laughs> yeah. into what we were going to talk about today. Is we wanted to kind of pick up where we left off and add some more details. So I'm going to ask you to lead the show today. Actually, um, we're going to do this a little bit differently. So we don't really need to explore your background as much. But I know that there's part of your history that led to the conversation we're going to have today. So I just would like you to kind of start where you like and let's go from there, man. Yeah, um, I mean, I want to jump right in into that time when, you know, where we ended last time, which was kind of me around 18, 19 years old, uh, finding yoga for the first time, being inspired, you know, like sitting in my first yoga class completely stoned with my 10 friends who all came for the class and we were all stoned. And that was like such a powerful experience because I went so deep in in this meditative state because I had never really practiced anything or meditated. And then on top of it, I, I was high. I, I went to a place where I was like, oh, my God, you know, I want more of this kind of stuff. And then by the end of the class, the teacher said, you know what, you know, I know you guys want to come, but unfortunately the whole yoga thing and the meditation doesn't mix so well with the drugs so you're gonna have to come without smoking how did and she so know? How did seven out of the ten friends dropped out <laughs> how did they know that you were high i i think it was too obvious we were all over the place you know a bunch of 18 19 year olds you can imagine i see yeah now, I remember um, the first yeah. time I got caught smoking weed was in high school, and I'll never forget, um, you know, I was just a freshman, I think, at the time, and uh, my friends and I, we didn't have anything but notebook paper, so we, we rolled a joint in notebook paper. It was terrible. Oh, wow. We got, okay. We got, we got pretty high, right? Like, uh, so I showed up <laughs> in class, and my eyes must have looked like um, stop signs, man, because, like, the teacher knew yeah. it right away. It was like, oh, no. And so I thought I was going to get in trouble or whatever, but it all worked out, and I ended up just having a conversation with my mom. <laughs> Good. Yeah, teacher was probably smoking. Uh, maybe. It was an English class, so maybe not, but, you know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know. And part of what we're going to look into today, Amrit, as I understand it, is the different uh, aspects of smoking marijuana and the things that were good and bad about it for you. And also, we'll talk a little bit about how it works even for myself and, you know, some things that might be helpful to other people to consider how they can contemplate this in a healthy and responsible way, but also if they choose to engage in the use of that particular product, um, well, God bless them. But, you know, it's good to know where it goes and where it can lead and what it's like for different people. So that's what that's where we're going with this, right? Yeah, totally. And I want to jump right into that because I think it is such an interesting subject because for everybody who has ever smoked weed, it's like, you know, mainly people have this really powerful experience, right? For most people, it's a good experience. For some people, it doesn't go so well. You know, there's some personality types where it just certainly doesn't gel. But it really is this, this feeling of being high, right? And that's what's so special about smoking weed. But the problem is that when we smoke too much, we're not high anymore. We're just stoned, right? And that's this this heavy energy of oh my god i can't move or maybe i shouldn't go out of the house uh it's so much work and i can't bring my big pipe when i go out of the house so maybe just stay home forever 
And so that was kind of the place where I found myself, where I, on one hand, realized, oh, my God, you know, this this substance really allowed me to to connect to aspects of myself, which I never knew about. And then when I dove into yoga and I dove into meditation, I was able to recreate those states through my practice, right? Not in the same way, certainly not like, you know, the, the kind of stuff you can smoke today where you're just like, oh my God, you know, I'm, I'm flying in the ethers, but in a very sustainable and very solid way. And I like that a lot. So I really went deep into my practice and that's what led me then ultimately to move to India and live there for 20 years and really experience, you know, what, what life can be like or could be like for me in expanding this this feeling of feeling high through my own internal practice very cool very cool and um i mean for me like i've been you know for me when i started i was 11 when i first smoked marijuana and i was very hyperactive and so like ritalin wasn't doing anything for me so somehow or another the high school kids wanted my Ritalin. And then next thing you know, it's like, uh, you know, Hey, why don't you try this? And like, so after a while I finally did. And it was the greatest thing ever, man. Like at least for me as a hyperactive child and somebody that was really kind of out of control, you know, to a certain degree, um, I couldn't really control my impulses as a young person. And so I always would say and do things and, you know, sometimes act inappropriately and all, well, maybe a lot of times. And, um, you know, that was it. So like, for me, it was like a really great find. And I feel you, man, like I was just thinking while you were saying that, I'm like, man, like when I smoke these days, it's not like that at all for me. It's, um, it's really quite different actually. It's, uh, more of like, you can almost consider it sort of like a sedative, not like Xanax, you know, I've taken Xanax before for flights and things like that, you know, to relax and sleep. Yeah. Um, but it's not like that at all. It's like, for me, it's more of like, um, I guess I always think of it like if, you know, cause I don't drink much. So like if I have like a shot or two of whiskey or hard alcohol, like I'll really feel that man. Like if I drink one beer, like I can feel that, you know, two or three beers and I better not drive a car, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So I'm a lightweight, but I can smoke like all night and still function completely normally. And you know, no problems whatsoever. Um, but I do know that for some people it's a little bit different. I personally don't really understand that. Um, but I'm wondering if you can shed a little bit of light on how that works and what that's like. Cause I think some of us, whether it's a tolerance that we build up to it or we become accustomed to it or that somehow it's just in line with our biological needs. Um, you know, there's just differences I think. And I was just wondering if we could explore a little bit of that. Yeah, totally. And I think it's definitely a tolerance because that's how it used to be for me. You know, like I, I started smoking a couple of joints here and there, and then it was like 10 of them. And then at some point the joints didn't do anything anymore and we needed to use the big pipe. And then it was just <laughs> like all day. And I realized like when I stopped and this actually happened because it took me like four or five years to fully like let the let that go and step into this path of yoga is I stopped for for three months, six months. And then when I smoked again, I needed so little, you know, and especially in combination with the meditation and the yoga, mm. like there's the two puffs from a joint got me flying at such a level, which I hadn't even 
known was possible because I was so accustomed to it over years. And so for me, that was that was strange because I was like, oh my God, you know, I used to be able to smoke as much as I want. And now I'm taking two puffs and, you know, like ready to run naked through the fields. But it was kind of this. <laughs> I don't this even feeling. need to get high to do that. I like to run naked through the field <laughs> sober, Amrit. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, I do it sober <laughs> too. Yeah, no problem. But it, it really allowed me to realize how the sensitivity and the brain developed. And I think through my meditative practice, I developed this ultra deep sensitivity to the substance, you know? And so today, if, if I take a, a, a smoke from a joint, I get so high and everybody else is just like, what's going on? You know, like, what are you doing? It's because it, it, you know, I think it's like I have so many receptors in my brain, which I developed through the meditative practice that now like a tiny amount like shoots me to the moon instantly. I got you. Can I ask a question? Because um, there is something that just came up for me that uh, you reminded me of is I do know that there is a distinct difference. And I, I would agree that they should be kept separate. Um, when I was in college, I used to get stoned sometimes before I'd go to satsang. I used to go to a meditation group based oh, yeah. on inner, inner light sound and meditation. And it was actually with someone who shares your name. It was uh, Master uh, Master Thakar Singh. He was a living master in India. And I'm a Super second cool. generation initiate of his, actually. And so when I went to college, I met this girl. She was working in a monkey wards. Montgomery wards is what, you know, I joke and say the name, but it was an old department store. It's probably not around anymore. And there was this girl there that I thought was cute. She was um, at the cash register. So I went up to flirt with her and see if I could pick her up. And boy, she turned the tables on me. She laughed and kind of joked and everything. She goes, no, no, I'm not interested in that, but I'd love to have you come to our satsang. It's a meditation group and oh, blah, blah, blah. And you can come to my house and check it out. And I'm like, really? And that was back before, you know, there was no real, there was no cell phones or anything like that. So it was just like, yeah. here's my address. We do it on Sunday morning at this time, just show up and walk in the door and make yourself comfortable. And that's what I did. And it was a great experience, man. But I remember when I used to smoke and go there, it was one experience, but when I didn't, it was another. And I will be very clear in saying that anyone seeking a, a very clear, very pure connection with spirit should not be mixing these things, in my opinion. Um, and that's coming from someone who does and did and probably will again. But, um, you know, the reality is that these things are very separate. But, you know, in another way, it's like maybe that one tiny little hit for somebody who really has anxiety will take them to that place where they can shift because that's part of what I was uh, thinking about and what I wanted to ask you about is there's kind of like um, an inability for some people to turn off their minds. And so I think in a way, without sounding trite or anything, you know, weird, uh, the idea is that, you know, pot can enhance things and it can also kind of take away. It really depends on the dosage, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. No, and I think it really, the dosage, like you said, that's key because ultimately it is an enhancer and it is a connector to spirit. And that's one of the reasons why in Kundalini Yoga, for example, we say we, we don't want to allow these two things to mix because over the years we had people who came and, and practiced super hardcore and really did the class deeply. And then they smoked 
and it shot them to a place where they had a hard time coming back from. Because again, you know, like when you combine those two forces, it just takes you to a place which is much higher. But at the same time, if you have not developed the nervous system to sustain that, that's kind of like it can trigger like a Kundalini rising experience, which can just fry your circuits. And that's dangerous. Wow. That's crazy. I can't imagine frying my circuits with pot. That would be a that would be a stretch, but I could see other drugs doing it. You know what I mean? No, the combination is it. That the thing is that you know, just smoking pot is not the issue. Just do that by yourself, not an issue because by itself it will contain you by slowing down, by getting stoned, right? Like the language is so clear on that. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about going high and then going higher through meditation. You get stoned from smoking pot. But the problem is when you go high in meditation and your body will allow you to go to a level that is sustainable and where your nervous system can handle that. And then on top of that high, you put the high from the marijuana. That's when it can push you too high where you're just like you cannot integrate what you're experiencing. Mm, Interesting. Interesting. And so what's the answer? Well, the answer would be to keep them separate. I think that's the first step. And then honestly, for me, I found that, you know, the practice of meditation and yoga is just more sustainable because it allows me to to integrate that energy and use it and, and develop that fire. What I realized when I experimented with it again a little bit recently is it kind of started dulling me. You know, it started taking a little bit the passion out of me. Mm. I slowed down. I did a little less. Everything was just slower. And I wasn't just as passionate about my projects. And I wasn't as fiery. And actually, even something my wife noticed where she's like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and it's just like you're really soft and really, you know, very kind, which was, you know, very positive. But she's like, I'm I'm kind of missing that, that fiery side of you. And then I put two and two together and I realized, oh, my God, it's it's the smoking the weed. And when I stopped, it allowed me ha- to have that fire rise again. And, you know, I, I get a lot of shit done now. Right on, man. Right on. I know there's also people who do get a lot done with it. There's nothing wrong with that. But do you do you think there's a, a reason to understand how that's different for different people? Yeah, totally. And I think it's it's totally different for different kinds of brains and how it affects you. I mean, you were talking about how your hyperactivity was kind of calmed down by it, right? So you yes. already had a lot of brain activity to start with. But I think if you have someone who's already slow and they start smoking regularly, it might mm. be hard for them to get anything done. I see. So it comes down to an individual's motivation, pretty much. Or kind of to your individual setup of your nervous system, of how your brain works. And, you know, like I'm not a neuroscientist, so I I can't give you all the details there. But I certainly have seen how it affects different people differently. Totally, totally. Me too. Me too. Me too, man. Um, Yeah, you know, it's interesting thinking about it. I've seen some really, I guess we'll call them high functioning stoners. And um, other people who smoke that like it does take them out. And and actually I do. I was just you reminded me of another experience just without getting into it. It was uh, somebody that couldn't handle it and took a hit and then ended up kind of like 
not really passing out, but losing, like he couldn't see, like I wave my hands in front of his face. He's sitting there with his eyes open and I'm like, what in the hell is going on here? And so apparently he had some kind of a chemical thing or something like that. But that was a weird eye opener for me. I was like, okay, no more sharing. (laughs) Yeah. No, and I think it's really good in this conversation to get the clarity around it affects everybody differently. And you can't yes, just say, Oh, it's, it's the drug, it does this. No, it's, it's a medical plant. And it has a lot of power in it. And it needs to be treated with respect, and it needs to be used in the right way for you. And yeah. that's nothing anyone can tell you how that right way is. But you need to figure that out for yourself. Totally, man. And, you know, the other thing, and we didn't even touch on this, but maybe we should just because, um, but with the rise of uh, technology and advents and different things like that, and the laws opening up, CBD is a new thing. CBN and CBG are all different things that they're now selling. And it, it's like, I don't know if everybody really knows this, but like CBD and CBG, CBN, those are non-psychoactive components of marijuana that make it make it uh, so that you can get the holistic benefits of the plant without getting high. So if you see like a CBD store on the side of the road and wonder like how do they get away with selling pot there, um, it isn't pot. It's, it's, it's really just marijuana with no THC. And for anyone yeah. that doesn't know, THC is the component that makes you high. So it's called tetrahydrocannabinol. And uh, that's the part that makes the euphoria happen and the other things like that. But when you use CBD, and I've done that actually, um, just to see what it was like. And I mean, it didn't do anything for me, but I gave it to somebody else who had some uh, problems physically. And she said that like, man, that stuff is great. And that was just CBD. So it's like a whole nother realm of the whole thing that doesn't involve getting high. (laughs) It's super powerful. I mean, I give it to my kids when they have a toothache or something, Mm -hmm. because it really, especially on, on people who don't smoke, it works wondrous and they just, you know, get the munchies and get tired. And so it's really convenient. Absolutely. And they even have CBD doggy treats now. I thought that was the funniest thing ever. Oh, yeah. It's a huge industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really something, man. So it's not all about getting high these days, but like that is the thing that most people like to do. Um, But there's another way where you can benefit from the plant because, quite frankly, the marijuana plant is an amazing creation. And, you know, even just looking from it, Uh, or looking at it from a biblical perspective, you know, my thing in high school was when I started reading the Bible, you know, oh, right there in Genesis, it says, God made all green seed bearing plants for man, and it was good. And it's like, so I I saw that, and I was like, sold. (laughs) God made it. I'm yeah, so but he also made aloe vera, brother. And, you know, he, he made all sorts of beautiful, amazing things that have holistic properties and healing properties and different things like that. I mean, we don't always think of it like this, but a rose, like, you know, the people that are wise enough to take care of a rose bush without cutting themselves to shreds have a beautiful example of nature that's very fragrant and wonderful but they might not know that rose oil is actually the highest vibrating oil there is and it, it, it will get you high so but in a very natural way so like if you get pure rose oil which is very expensive it if you just sit and smell it you'll get that 
sort of lifty intoxicated light kind of feeling it's it's really amazing man it's like oh it nature. opens up your heart chakra that's what happens with rose oil it connects with with the oh. heart on this deep energetic level okay. and that just feels like you know like you have this big full heart in india they go as far as you know when they have these big parades going through the streets that people will stand and spray rose water on everybody who's coming by i mean oh. it, it is pretty magical stuff Absolutely. Yeah. The beauty of nature, man. So like, you know, it's more than just pot, but like, there's just so many things. I think we overlook sometimes the sheer magnitude of uh, intricacy that is involved in all these things. It's, it's really quite wonderful. Um, it is. It is. Yeah. Nature is a beautiful thing. So where do we go from here, man? Now that we're, well, we're so now that let me tell you that we're over smoking. <laughs> yeah. What happened? So I ended up going to India I was like, okay, I'm going to stay for a little bit. And then a little bit turned into 20 years, which was quite an experience. You know, my kids were born there. My wife moved there to live with me. It was, was really like a deep, powerful experience. I had a ton of time to do yoga every day and to meditate and really go deep and really explore myself deeply. And then when we left India just four years ago, um, we went to Germany and we're like, okay, let's let's check out Germany and see how it goes. And we ended up in lockdown because that was right at the COVID time. And so we were locked down in Germany for two years. And, you know, the Germans take shit serious. And yeah, so you're not getting any lockdown. weed in Germany, man. Huh? You're not getting any weed in Germany. <laughs> no, and it's hard to get weed. Yeah, that's for sure. And during lockdown, I don't think anyone got weed. So it was really like, it was a shitty situation. And so by the end of the lockdown, we're like, okay, we're not doing another winter in Germany with lockdown. So we decided to move to Mexico. My wife is Mexican and the kids had never really experienced Mexico except in the holidays. And so that was, that was a big step. And kind of around the same time, I, you know, discovered my passion around coaching. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, I've been coaching people all my life and I really want to go in deeper into that. And so what I did is I, I quit my job. It was an online job I was doing for, for a company in the U.S. And I was just like, OK, I'm so done with this. This stuff is so boring and I'm going to go all into this coaching. And it was challenging because, you know, I, I was certainly not at the level I'm at now, you know, where I have a... a a constant flow of clients and I'm making money from it. But at, at that point, it was all brand new, right? And I was like, okay, I hope this works out. And so that was, was definitely a deep dive into trusting and really showing up for my dream and showing up for my passion. And it's been a wild ride in the last two years to the point where I'm at now. Would, would you say that uh, not smoking pot has anything to do with your success or was there any relationship to that? How would you correlate that experience? Yeah, for me, it was, a, it was actually a big connection because I realized when, when I was smoking pot, it, again, it kind of took a little bit of my motivation away from me. Not a lot, but a little bit. Just that, that little where when you go to, want to go to 100 or 110% of just doing that little bit extra. And I was like, ah, oh, I could just like chill and, and smoke a joint right now. And so I realized that the, the not smoking really allowed me to take it to the next level. 
and really allowed me to show up much clearer for myself. And, and that was really a big breakthrough for me. And that helped me a lot. Mm, very good. And so what happened from there? Well, then we're already almost in, in present time, you know, at this point, I'm, I'm working almost exclusively with men, I'm putting together this, this amazing program, I'm super excited about to support men who are struggling in their long term relationships or marriages, to kind of learn how to take 100% responsibility for fixing their relationship. You know, like in, in my understanding, every relationship we have in our life, and especially our the relationship with our significant other, is 100% our responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I know this is a controversial topic, especially with people who are, you know, in, in a bad place in their marriage or in their relationship where like, oh my God, you know, if my wife could just stop doing these stupid things and saying these stupid things, my life would be so much better, you know, and they're wishing for that magic staff that can point at their wife. And then she miraculously transforms and oh, is this no. beautiful, great looking, super kind, never says the wrong word. And now suddenly their life is in order. And so what I want to do is really allow men to see that even though that's a beautiful fantasy, that will probably not happen. And so to come to the point of if you want to see change in your relationship, you're going to have to fucking show up 100%. And you're yeah, going to have to be that change. And then yeah. guess what? Your wife will experience you as this new version of yourself. And she might just change and adjust or not. But that's on her, right? Mm -hmm. Because the first step and the success can only happen when you show that you want to be the change. Yeah, man. And the other thing is instantly when you said that something came to mind that's really important. And I've learned this in my life. And you can tell me if you agree or think that this is too simple. Um, but I think we'll agree on this is that if you're upset at your wife, and you're constantly thinking what she does is the problem, believe it or not, it's not her that's the problem. It's you, man. And so it's like, you know, when we react to things, that's our choice. And the choice to react is what normally instigates, perpetuates, or otherwise can engage problems where there wasn't any before. So at yeah. least in my estimation, when someone bothers you, and I've learned this through life and struggling and like not living this way for most of my life, but now that I'm older, I realize that it's my issue, not hers. So like if you're reacting to someone's problem, of course, if it's, it's something like they're, they're stealing or cheating on you or something, that's a whole nother thing. But if they do something that really irritates you, it's not always good to look at them as the source of the problem. It's better to look at yourself to see what lesson you need to learn from that. That's how I take it. Yeah, 100%. And I agree, because that's exactly the foundation I'm building all of this on what, I, what I'm doing. The problem we have as humans with that is it's a little bit like with healthy diet or, oh, you shouldn't smoke because it's bad for your lungs. We know all those things, but we're still making the choice sometimes for whatever reason or for whatever motivation to be like, yeah, yeah, I know that it's me who has to change. But 
you know, she is so annoying. And yesterday she did this and she did that. And if she could just stop, right, we, we fall back into this. This is something which happens to me still every day, you know, where I'm like, you know, I catch myself being like, oh, my God, now she did this again. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's my story. Right. And so I'm reflecting that back to me. And it's kind of it will never really stop. The moment when that stops is when you truly have reached enlightenment, which is something which is very attainable for all of us. Absolutely. And so speaking to men, you know, you deal with men who are struggling in their marriage mostly. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. And so I really, you know, that made it my mission to to go in there and help these men and give them tools to work on themselves. And the powerful thing here is that they don't need their wife's permission. They don't need to have, you know, a certain setup at home or whatever. All it takes is for them to show up for themselves and then an extension show up for their wives and then an extension show up for their kids, their extended family, their friends, whatever, you know, like that. There's a whole, every marriage has this whole big circle or social construct around it. And so when when you just give up and you say okay fuck it i'm i'm going to divorce that's it you know that lady i'm not spending another day with her all that's falling apart that's not just on you you know that's on her that's on the kids that's on the next generation of kids that's on all your friends who have to pick a side because i can only talk to one of you because the other one is upset right so it's all these things and to really say like look I have some freaking tools I can share with you and these tools work, but it will take the, your ability to get over the hump that she is not the problem. She is just a reflection of what you're dealing with. And if you address that inside of you, guess what? Your marriage is going to improve, you know, a hundredfold. That's right. And you know, it's funny. Um, for me, at least, I've always been really in touch with my feminine side, and I like being, you know, diverse in my perspective and my my acceptance and tolerance and all that stuff. But like, as a man, I think especially a traditional man, like a really traditional, you know, wow, that's a common man. You know what I mean? There's there's people yeah. like that, and then there's people like me, <laughs> and probably you. Um, but, you know, some of us don't really fit into the traditional male package, right? Like, yeah, there's just yeah. some of us that are different. But the ones that do, I think, honestly, are the ones that struggle the most, you know, and it's only because they have this ideology, and I could be wrong, please correct me if I am. Um, but they have this ideology that they have certain things they have to live up to and do based on certain standards and social norms and things yeah. like that. But not realizing that sometimes, you know, going outside of that box could be really helpful and really, really educational and, and awakening. You know, there's a lot of things that men don't do that they probably should do that would allow them to become more in touch with not just spirit, but truth, you know, and sometimes when we have emotions that cause us to get angry, um, that can take us out of our out of truth, you know, and sometimes yeah. create something that's not even real. And that's the funny part. So like, it can get confusing and all that, but there's a much simpler way, right? Like, I mean, it's really not, it doesn't have to be that complicated. It's just important to be aware of yourself to know that, Hey, you know what, I might need a little room to grow here. Right. Yeah. 
No, big time. And I think this is actually what came to my mind when you spoke about how in touch you are with your femininity. I think mm -hmm. that's actually one of the things what marijuana does. You know, it mm -hmm. allows you to get in touch with your feminine side, with mm -hmm. your intuition, with your softness, with your kindness, and with all these things. And so that's why those very masculine, overly manly men who are completely disconnected from their feminine side don't smoke weed and they drink a shit ton of alcohol because it's the only thing which keeps them sane. And, you know, you can already see that connection because the people who who do want to connect to that feminine aspect of themselves, you know, can't go down that road and they don't want to just numb themselves with huge amounts of alcohol, which is really just like poisoning your body ultimately. And I think marijuana and alcohol always kind of get thrown together as, oh, yeah, yeah, it's bad for you kind of thing. But it it couldn't be more opposite. And I think actually the damages alcohol created in our society are you know, a thousand times greater than what marijuana did in this world. Oh, God, yes. And yeah, tobacco, too, for that matter. Um, you know, I'm quitting smoking, by the way. We're, we're recording this on uh, September the 6th, and uh, this episode won't air until sometime in November. But like, I'm actually quitting and I'm making a statement to you. But um, I've decided I'm going to quit this Sunday. I'm going somewhere and special event in the mountains and um, it's time to let it go. But like, I realize it's such a terrible habit and it, it's just yeah. time to quit, man. Super cool. I love it. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Um, so with men who are looking to improve relationship, I mean, it doesn't just apply to marriage. Let's be, you know, let's be open to the folks that are even in normal relationships, maybe, um, where, you know, they struggle with different issues and things like that. What advice can you give to men that do have things like there's a big difference and maybe you should just draw the distinction between toxic relationships and relationships that actually provide an opportunity to learn and grow from the yeah. interactions that you're having? Well, I think that's really such an important point because that clarity needs to be there from the beginning. And you need to have the ability to bring in someone who can help you evaluate what kind of relationship you're in. You know, if your wife beats you up every evening and you are like, oh, I want to come to this, you know, uh, marriage program and really learn how to how to be better in my relationship so she doesn't feel like she has to beat me up every night. That's certainly a toxic relationship. So my recommendation there would be get yourself some outside help, reevaluate. And if it is a relationship where you say, I'm committed to this person, I want to stay with this person, I want to make it work, then put in the work and make it happen and show up for yourself. Absolutely. But it's good to be able to distinguish. I mean, definitely physical abuse or even emotional abuse is definitely not something that you would ever want to tolerate. Um, but there are other little things that people do, I think, that really just piss you off. And um, it's totally normal. But, you know, it's funny uh, to pick and choose, you know, it's like, uh, okay, I need to make a little chart, you know, pros and cons and start filling it out. Um, but there are some things that are totally tolerable and acceptable, I think, anyway, that could be considered you know, kind of conflict, but 
you learn and you grow, you know, it's like, that's the difference instead of something that can bring you down or hold you back, you know? Yeah, no big time. And I think ultimately there's so much power in when you come to the point, when you make that list with the pros and cons and you look at it and you say, okay, what do I really want? Do I want this relationship or do I not want it? Because I have the option to just say like, I'm out, you know, like there's no one holding you down, you can walk away. Sure, there will be pain, there will be suffering, there will be other people who are involved. But ultimately, the decision is yours. And it's 100% yours. And if you don't believe that, that you can choose 100% to stay, or 100% to go, you're kidding yourself, right? Because it's this, oh, yeah, I'm staying together for the kids. You know, we all seen those families where where this couple has been married for 40 years and they're miserable and they can't stand each other and they sleep in two separate rooms, but they're staying together for the kids, right? And you know how how that affects those kids. And when you meet them when they're 25 or 30 and you ask them about how their relationship life is, it's usually a mess because they never learned that in a relationship, you need to choose. You need to choose to want to be there. And if you're just staying there for convenience or out of fear or out of insecurity, again, get yourself some help and get some clarity around that and recognize why you want to choose to stay in your long-term relationship. Because if you don't get a clear answer to that, then you might just be miserable and married or in a relationship for the next 40 years. Yeah, that's no good. Um, do you think it's any different with a single parent family? Like uh, the child not having a example of, you know, a solid couple? Do you think that that is similar? Or is that different? I think it's hard, because for us as children, we learn by observing examples. And so what happens is when we don't have that example at home, we go find that somewhere else and we might get lucky and find this amazing family where we can really like see how how a well-functioning relationship works or what is more likely is we create this example in our minds from what we see on tv so then we are on this chase for this perfect tv relationship which we in our mind have as the perfect relationship and it just doesn't work because it doesn't exist absolutely Absolutely. And I always remember looking back myself, I grew up with a single mother and um, my grandparents ended up being the example and thank God they were there because I remember things like when I was a little kid, I noticed that they only kissed each other when they said goodbye, mm. you know, and, uh, you know, they, but they'd hug and stuff. But I just noticed, you know, they're, at least with my grandparents, because they're very traditional and, and, you know, old school and all that, but like they weren't you know, running around kissing each other in public. It was always just when they said goodbye. And I always wondered about that, you know, and it's like in my relationships through life, um, I've always tried to have more love and interaction. So like, I'll kiss you when I come home, I'll kiss you when you're sitting on the couch, I'll kiss you while I'm making dinner. It's like, it doesn't have to just be when we're going to say goodbye, going on a trip yeah. or something like that. And I, I've noticed in my own life, at least, um, that I've always really desired that deeper, intimate, emotional 
connection with somebody because I think part of it is that I didn't really see it as much growing up. And I know it's out there. I've seen it in TV and movies as a kid and, you know, porn, you know, it's like when you're yeah. a little kid, you know, back then the, the cable box had this one channel where like, if you move the dial to between the two numbers, you could just see enough <laughs> to get an idea of what's going on. Um, that was me at like, you know, eight or nine years old. Um, yeah, of course. But as an adult, no, and I know, think I, this is, yeah, go different. ahead. You went down. No, no, I just wanted to say as an adult, you know, it's very different looking back and saying, you know, Hey man, like that wasn't the greatest example of what it is I desire for my life. And how do I clean that up? You know, and how do I achieve yeah. that type of intimacy when I didn't have the example to follow? That's, that's kind of where I was leading with it. Yeah, no, totally. And I want to pick that up because so many of our parents and grandparents and great grandparents didn't really have that intimacy in their relationship. They didn't have that closeness. They didn't have that mind blowing sex life after 20 years of a relationship. And they they lived kind of in this gray zone of Oh, yeah, we, we once got married when we were 25. So now till death shall part us, right. And so I think it's it's really a whole new paradigm shift around how to develop intimacy, how to develop closeness, you know, kind of this feeling which we all know so well from falling in love, you know, and is why so many relationships break too, is because one of the two partners who hasn't been getting intimacy and love and closeness for 5, 10, 15 years, now suddenly falls in love with someone else, someone new, and they have this in love feeling and they're experiencing this deep intimate connection, this deep level of trust, this mind blowing sex, right, this amazing connection, they're like, Oh, my God, I'm 45 years old. And this is the best thing that ever happened to me. And so they drop out of their long term relationship. And then they realize after a year or two, that in love feeling kind of starts to ebb off again. And they're back at square one, because they haven't developed the skills on how to develop intimacy, trust, amazing sex without the in love experience. And then they're right back to the same thing. They're back in a boring relationship after four or five years, where the sex is below average, and the intimacy is not really there. And so that's really where I want to pick up these men and say, like, you can do something about that, you can change that with the work and the effort that you are putting in, you don't have to wait for your wife to turn into a super sex star, you know? Yeah, man. And <laughs> it's funny that you say that because uh, a couple of times in my life, I, I'm, I, I guess it was a mistake looking back, but I bought brand new cars from a dealership. And I remember my 2000 Mustang, man. And when I got that car, oh God, it was like, it was like a psychological erection. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. It, it was really great. And I was so excited. And uh, I remember driving it around and having fun and going fast and all that shit and doing burnouts. I mean, I think one year I went through four sets of tires on the car. <laughs> For real. Like, it was like yeah, that. Good stuff. Good stuff. Right? But then I remember, like, after a while, eventually when I would go to get in the car... <laughs> I noticed, wow, that sense of excitement isn't there anymore. I don't feel yeah. like this is really neat. You know, it's like it went away. And what I should have been thinking um, is, man, I'm so stoked. I have this great transportation and the value that I put into 
that car, I don't think, was quantified after a certain period of time. It was more like the excitement of achieving it and owning it and all of that. But after a while, it waned and ended up kind of becoming an ordinary thing that you kind of take for granted. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. I got to go to work today. And, and instead of me being like, every day I'm excited to get in that car and drive to work. It's like, oh shit, you know, I got to deal with traffic and oh, blah, blah, blah. So I, I kind of lost that loving feeling as the song would say. Um, but I think that's what happens in relationships. It kind of reminds yeah, me. And of it's that. normal. It's because we as humans are hardwired like that. Right. Those are chemical reactions in our physical bodies. Yes. And to believe anything differently is just silly because it happens to every single one of us. And that's why every guy in their 40s or 50s who ends up with a 28-year-old girlfriend has a blast for the first six months until reality sets in. And she's like, oh, you know, like you're kind of an old guy. You know, I don't know if I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And she moves on or he realizes that he really can't keep up with that. And that's not what he was looking for. And that's so it's right. this exact same issue. And just to be aware of that fact, you know, like, sure, you can just keep finding yourself the 20 year younger girlfriends one after another, but it's just so unfulfilling. It's so not what we as humans are hardwired to do. You know, we are hardwired to be in long lasting relationships. We care for that kind of stuff. You know, we care for that deep level of trust, that deep level of connection with another human being. And that doesn't just have to be in our romantic relationship, relationships, right? That's the same for our friendships, for our relationships with our parents, for our relationships with our kids. You know, we want relationships to last. We want them to go deeper. We want them to be more fulfilling more connected, more trusting, and not less. Mm. Yes, and that's a big part of it too, absolutely. Just to hold on to what's important and to recognize what's important so that you place the right priorities in the right place for the right you know, reasons and everything in line with your values and all that. I think a lot of times people end up choosing relationships based on their personal you know, desire and what they get out of it, as opposed to what can I contribute to this person's life? And yeah. how can this person be part of a team with me? You know, I think yeah. that's the healthier approach, wouldn't you? Yeah, totally. But look, we don't learn that kind of stuff in school. And we learn all these boring things, which are borderline useless later in life. But these important things, how to develop trust, how to build relationship, how to invest in it, how to show up for it, how to learn, how to communicate properly. That's the kind of stuff we're left to our own devices to figure out. So I, I don't blame any 25 or 30 year old who doesn't have a clue what's going on because, I mean, it took me 40 years to figure this out. Right. But it's funny, sometimes the young people think they know everything. <laughs> oh, yeah, we all did, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was that person too, I guess, but um, I noticed it you know, in a couple of people not too long ago where it was like, man, you, you got a lot to learn, but like, you know, you think you know it all, but like, just wait till you get older. You're going to be surprised. <laughs> yeah. That's my favorite thing to say to my 15 year old daughter. And she really doesn't like it. I say like, remember when you were 13 and you thought you knew everything, look mm -hmm. back now being 15 at that 13 year old, how much did she know? And she right. was like, ah, 
this is so not fair you're saying that I'm saying like just saying maybe you're 15 now but you're going to be 17 soon and you're going to look back at this 15 year old <laughs> dude I know, i'm sure that you're going to get to this but um you know you hit a home run when your kid comes back to you at some point and says you know what you were right and i didn't understand and you know like that's going to be great when she gets older she'll come back and you know, when she's 20 or 30 and be yeah, like, you know, yeah. dad, you were completely right, man. Totally, you know? totally. Oh, there's that famous quote from Mark Twain, who said, when I was 18, my dad was a complete idiot. By the time I was 22, I was surprised how much the old man had learned. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Um, we're, we're literally, that was the perfect, unbelievable segue to our last 10 minutes together. I don't want to miss anything that might need to come up here. And I want to just ask you if there's anything that we might've overlooked or missed that we should talk about. And let's, uh, spend the next 10 minutes talking a little bit about how we can help men listening today and, or even wives or girlfriends listening that want their man to be a better man. You know, how can you help them with that? Yeah, it really, I mean, especially for the wives and the girlfriends, unfortunately, it will only work if the man wants to do it. You know, if I get a man who just shows up to do his wife a favor or kind of to, to just stay comfortable and not do much, it, not much happens because it's so important that the man shows up for themselves. And there's so much power in showing up for yourself and so much power in investing. So now speaking to the man, if you are that person and you are like, oh, my God, you know, I think I need to do something. I think I'm ready to invest in myself and invest in my growth and invest in my relationship and invest in my family, then reach out, find yourself some help. That could be through me. That could be some so many other different ways, you know, there's so much amazing help out there. But I do want to offer to anyone who's interested to get in touch with me. I'll block an hour of my time, I'll be happy to talk to you, I'll help you think it through and see if we're a match. And if we are, you know, I make you an offer what it would be like to work with me. That is beautiful. Very beautiful. And um, for a man listening right now that thinks to himself, I don't have a problem like that. Do you think that they're the ones that have the problem or is it really a matter of like digging and having self-awareness? Because I think some people overlook their own. Flaws. I think so. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you can answer, oh, my God, you know, I love going to date nights with my wife. I have amazing sex several times a week. You know, every time I'm with my wife, I'm enjoying it. Awesome. You're on the right track, man. Keep going. Something good is happening for you. Keep doing it. But unfortunately, the, the, many of the men who say, I don't have a problem, are the ones who go home, they are grumpy at home, their wife is in a bad mood, they don't talk a lot, they don't want to do stuff together. The sex is a three out of 10, if it's even happening. You know, like that's, you can tell yourself you don't have a problem with it if you want to live your life like that for the next 20 or 30 years, or you can make a choice today to make a change and to step up for yourself because it is possible to have sex with 40, 50 or 60 that is better and more exciting than when you were 25. Absolutely. Yeah. And you learn a lot, you know, over the years. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Absolutely. Very good. And so when someone does reach out to you, you're definitely, you know, the right kind of person because you're looking at it from a perspective of whether or not you're a right match. I really like yeah. that. Um, you know, it's not just about selling a service. It's about providing a service to people who look at that service as something that can help them improve their lives. Right. Yeah, totally. And that's why for me, that first session is so important. Because it's not just for that person to be able to check me out, but it's also for me to kind of see and gauge the client and see if I want to work with them and see if I can really help them. Because if it's someone who's just like, oh, I just need a quick fix, I just want to pay you some money and then you do all the work for me, I'll say no, because I, I know I won't be able to help that person to get results. But when I get someone who is like, oh, my God, I'm so ready to do the homework. I'll do what you tell me. I try the things. Even if I think it's crazy and stupid, I will do it. And I prove that by making my payment and making my investment in my own process, that's the kind of people I'm so excited to get on a call with because I know they will have results. Absolutely. Absolutely. There, there are a lot of predictable outcomes when it comes to solving problems. I think sometimes people think that problems are insurmountable and out of reach. But you know what, there's always a way, right? Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. And sometimes the way is to just have one person in your corner, who believes in you, who trusts you, who sees you at your highest capacity and who shows up for you over and over again over a certain time period because that's all it takes to make a change. You know, we all know how that is. You know, when you had that one teacher in school, that one coach, that one mentor in your life who really trusted you in you and it changed everything. Absolutely. That's huge. Um, in just our last few minutes together, is there anything else that might be in your heart or on your mind that you might like to share today? No, I, I loved our conversation. I think it's so cool how we connected coaching, yoga, meditation, smoking <laughs> weed, all of it into, into one. And because ultimately, you know, we're all living human beings and we all make our choices over and over again and sometimes they're good and sometimes they're shitty and i think it's so cool you know? and i just what comes to my mind is is that i think it's so cool that you committed on this episode to quit smoking so i'm really rooting for you because Thank i remember you. how hard that was for me when i quit smoking no i'm gonna send you a, a message um directly a week or two after i quit and confirm with you that i made it or tell you that i'm an idiot and decided to do it again <laughs> one of the two awesome yeah please do that and it, Totally. And it, it, I want to also you know, as a thank you, offer you a session with me if you are open to it. You know, let's sit together. We'll go through my whole process. I think it will be super powerful for you to really go into this quitting smoking stage with more clarity oh, really? and to take it to the next level. God bless you, man. I would love that, Amrit. I feel very connected to you anyway. I feel like, you know, we're coming from a very similar place and I love your um experiences but gosh that would be amazing i'd love to do that i really would awesome super cool we'll set it up awesome brother and then one last thing because this is kind of important and the reason i told you that is because i want and i don't want to sound weak because i should only be accountable to god myself and anybody else that's involved in my decisions but sometimes i feel like if i 
feel accountable to others by making a commitment to myself, it helps me to have the strength to pull through that decision. Um, that's my thinking behind it. So like by making a statement, not just to the universe or God, but to others, I want them to see that I'm capable of making that change on my own. How would you address accountability in this whole process of relationships and stuff? Because I think that's a really big part of it. Accountability is huge. And it's okay yeah. if we go over a few minutes. It's not a problem at all. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, accountability is to yourself, right? And there is so much power in not pointing at other people and not pointing at circumstances, not saying, oh, my God, I have so little money. Oh, oh my God, my wife this. Oh, oh my God, my, my kid has a sickness or whatever it is. But to really take accountability in yourself and choose how you want to show up, because ultimately that's where you have all the power. And when you take that 100% accountability and you know you are stepping in your power, it feels so amazing, even if you just start with achieving small results here and there, and they start stacking up and your life starts changing right in front of your eyes. Absolutely. And that's the other thing is just to remind people, you know, these changes don't always happen overnight. You know, revelations can happen in a moment and inspiration and aha moments, you know, but like the change does seem to be on a baby step scale, wouldn't you say one step at a time? Oh, my God. Every day. Yeah. And I'm, I'm taking baby steps every day. And it, it's cool to look back on it. And that's where, you know, these little tools like journaling come in. Because if you journal and you'll be able to look back over what you have written in the past and you're like, oh, my God, I have come such a long way. And I just spoke today to a client of mine and they were saying, like, I don't think much happened. It's been five months. We work together. And I said, OK, let's scroll back all the way to the beginning to my notes from the first session. And they had all these amazing goals and all these big things they wanted to do. And they came to a point where five months later they had accomplished every single thing of those. And it was something which was mind-blowing for both of us because for them it was just like, oh, it just felt like I didn't do much. But I have Ooh. come so far. So I think it's a beautiful thing. That is beautiful. Wonderful. And speaking of which, you're a beautiful man, Amrit no, Singh. What an interesting <laughs> guy. And I just love your perspective and your ability to – be in the, you know, and I don't, I don't mean this in a bad way, but you understand the world, but you understand the spirit. And there's two distinctive things there. And the world doesn't seem to operate on spirit power, um, but we're all part of the world and we bring that yeah. spirit power to the world, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Um, That's a beautiful thing. Yes. And, and the fact that you're able to bring those two things into harmony together is just a brilliant thing. I really love that. And I'd encourage any men listening that even think that, you know, there could be room for improvement in my marriage. And uh, especially if you have kids. And I'll just tell you from a single parent child and someone that grew up without much male role modeling. My brother left when I was 11 and my oldest brother didn't care as much and he wasn't around and there was no father, man. Like I'll just tell yeah. you as a person looking back, uh, speaking to any people who are thinking about divorce or anything like that, it really does impact the child and it sucks ass. So, yeah. you know, I'll be honest, you know, I've always been a little bit envious in a way when I have friends and they have whole families and their mom and dad love each other and, you know, they're always accountable to those parents and it, 
thinking back when I was younger, especially when I was engaged in a lot more relationships, um, you know, it was uh, always my desire to have that sort of thing, but you can't. Yeah. And it's a, it's a messed up feeling. So if nothing else, do it for the right reasons. But like, man, you got to think about your kids and like that example that you're setting when you made that commitment to till death do us part, you know, that commitment is huge and you yeah. need to honor that commitment. And that means doing some things that you might not want to do. And what the, the website is eHarmony, I think that said this, and, and it's one of the few things I like about this sort of thing, but the message is clear. If you want something that you haven't had before, you'll need to do something that you haven't done before, right? I love that quote. Yeah, it's so powerful. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And let's remind people once again of your website, Amrit, and then we'll wrap up. Yeah, I mean, easy to find me is under coachingnow.info. And now this new website, which I put up, which is connected to my new program I'm running, is marriagereconnectionroadmap.com. So that's Very super cool. simple. I mean, long, but simple marriage reconnection roadmap. And you can just log on there and book a session with me. And I'll be so happy to serve you with all my heart for an hour. And honestly, no strings attached. You know, you go your way. I go my way at the end of it. If I got to serve one more person, my day was worth it. Absolutely. I love that. That's perfect. I feel the same way. That's the best thing ever, man. Very, very good. Thank you, Amrit. I just want to just acknowledge you again for sharing on such a deep level. We covered so much in two episodes. Um, and man, we might as well have a third at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we totally should. Maybe in six months. Then yeah, exactly. We'll yeah, let's give it space. some time. But, but I would really like that. Yeah. And we can explore some other things. And God willing, I'll have entered into my first relationship here in Nevada by then. <laughs> yeah, super cool. Wish you know, so maybe we can and talk that's, about that's definitely something, you know, we can mm -hmm. dive into a little bit when we have our session together and you know, how to prep you for that. That's beautiful, brother. We'll do that for sure. Thank you again, Amrit Singh, for being on the Toddcast show. Thanks for having me. Thank My you pleasure. for tuning in to the Toddcast show. If you found today's episode helpful and meaningful, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on what's next. Remember that the Toddcast show is all about community and connection. So follow the podcast on your preferred social platform to keep updated on everything I've got in store. Also check out toddcastshow.com to find out more and stay connected with me, Todd Mira. Be sure to tell your friends and family about the Toddcast show so the podcast family can continue to grow and share on an international level. See you over on the next episode. Hi, I'm Todd Mira, host of the Toddcast show, and I want to share something personal with you today. Throughout my own life, I've struggled with issues I didn't even realize I had. Things like depression, past trauma, PTSD, and feeling disconnected from the people I loved the most. It took me hitting rock bottom to realize I couldn't fix myself alone. I needed help to unravel the tangled knots within my life, find myself again, and become stronger in the areas I was weakest. 
It wasn't an overnight transformation, but with time, I learned to change my thinking, my attitudes, and my entire paradigm for the better. I learned that it's good to ask for help, and that's why I want to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the Toddcast Show. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and the best part, it's 100% online. You can participate from anywhere, anytime that works for you. It's simple to get started. Simply answer a few questions about your specific needs and personal preferences in therapy, and BetterHelp will match you with the perfect therapist from their network. It's really that easy. You can message your therapist anytime you need support and schedule a live session when it's convenient for you. BetterHelp is committed to ensuring that you find the perfect match to guide you along your journey to well-being. As someone who went through therapy and came out way ahead of where I started, I want to invite you to take this step to a healthier, happier you today. My life was transformed through therapy, and yours can be too. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you'd expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is hand-picked for you, all at a shockingly affordable price. And as a special offer for our listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month by using the special link, betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. That's betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. You don't have to face life's challenges alone. BetterHelp is here to support you through the big and small issues of your life in a way that can really make a huge difference, both short and long term. Take the first step towards a healthier, happier you. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast to get started today.